All right, welcome. Welcome back to the show. You guys are going to want to stick around for this entire interview. I have Jeremy Waitsman. He's an attorney, a business attorney, and we're going to be talking about PPP loans, forgiveness. Um, also, we're starting something new on the show, and that is you can reach out via text and text me at 602-560-7981. And if you have a question, if you have, if you want to get in touch with uh, Jeremy, uh, whatever you want to do, send me a text, and that way we can er interact that way, as well as, of course, uh, you know, comments, anything like that. So uh, with that said, Jeremy Waitsman is a business attorney and head of the corporate practice group at uh, sugar, fentanyl, grass, <laughs> and Helsinger. Man, did I kill that. Anyway, he advises his clients on significant transactions, operational issues, and in, in their business, Jeremy has substantial experience representing businesses of all types, sizes, and inception, guiding them through the significant growth and often through ownership exit. I think you guys are going to enjoy Jeremy Waitsman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Bird. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. You bet. All right, so uh, I, I can't let this hang too long. How? Uh, what is the correct pronunciation of the of the firm there? Sure, it's it's Sugar Felsenthal, Grace, and Helsinger. Felsenthal, so, Grace, and Helsinger. Grace and Helsinger. <laughs> no problem. Right. You know, not the first uh, time. Won't be the last. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, absolutely. So so give us a quick uh, background about yourself. Did you go to law school thinking about being a business attorney? It, it was that the, the end in mind. Tell us how, you know, how you got working where you're at. Yeah, th thanks, Bert. Um, so I've always had an interest in business from the time I was a little kid. Everybody, uh, you know, parents are, oh, you're going to be a banker. You're going to be a businessman. Um, and while that was always interesting to me, I, I like working with lots of different businesses. Um, you know, prior to going to law school, I worked at a Fortune 500 company, uh, you know, was exposed to business. So for me, going to law school um, was a way to work with, you know, obviously not just my own business, but a, a lots of other different types of businesses, sizes um, and types. And so when I went to law school, I was not one of these guys that I'm going to be a trial attorney. You know, you think of the, the Atticus Finch and some of the, you know, classic I'm going to go to court and I'm going to, you know, win the day. I had no interest in going to court, um, but I did have an interest in business. So it was sort of a backdoor way for me to, uh, to, to be able to, you know, be involved in business and, and business enterprises. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And, and anybody who's ever been involved in a lawsuit, uh, which unfortunately happens quite a bit in business, you know, uh, they're not fun. And whether you're right or wrong, whether, you know, whatever, it's it's kind of you only need to be in, involved in one lawsuit to realize this is not the way to go. <laughs> that, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I do everything I can in my power to to dissuade clients. You know, clients. It's a principle of the thing. Well, it is until you have, you're on month six of getting legal bills, um, yeah. betting the principle, and then all of a sudden the principle is not quite as important. So yeah, usually yeah. even if you win a lawsuit, you lose a lawsuit because you spent time, money, energy, and and everything else when you should be focused on your business. Right, right, right. And, and you know, now again, it, 
you look at some of these big multi-billion dollar companies or even multi-million dollar companies where they have a legal staff on board, uh, you know, they, they are, it, it's, it's already part of their uh, hard costs. That's a different story. Sure. Uh, you know, it, because the bigger you get, the more lawsuits come in. And so you have to have a legal team on board. But even some of these guys who have a legal team will uh, will retain a law firm like yours because it, your, your firm or this other firm over here might have certain skills that the in-house team doesn't have. And it just it still right. adds costs. Well, it's look, you know, if you get if you're around long enough, if you're big enough, uh, if you're touching enough people, um, it, it can be, a, you know, a, an unfortunate cost of doing business. Right. Um, and so long as you don't have it dictate, you know, management's pri primary strategy, um, then again, it's a cost of doing business. You, you hope to avoid it, but sometimes, you know, you just can't avoid it. It's, it's the American system. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh you know, we all want our day in court, and uh, and I'm going to say this, and then we'll move on. I have found that mediation is a great way, about a third of the cost, um, to get your voice heard, kind of get that venting done, right? And, and then uh, and then hopefully find a good middle ground. And and anyway, but yeah, lawsuits not a profit center. <laughs> no, well, not for anybody except the, the lawyers, right? So, um, you know, my, my, my litigating partners uh, wouldn't like me to say this, but yeah, no, I try to try to avoid that at all costs. And, and one of the things I pride myself on, you know, I, I really have kind of two categories of what I do. One is facilitate transactions. You know, you think about your M&A deals and your contracts and, and the other one is to resolve disputes. Right. I'm not a litigator, but if I can look at a contract and say to my client, you know, you're probably not going to win this one. And, and even if you do, you're going to spend at least as much money with my partners as you do just getting this thing done. I, you know, just one quick example, and I know you want to move on. Um, a, a client of mine who's in the, the PR space, he had a, a disgruntled client uh, that, that, you know, he had put together a website for and, and they just kept asking for more and more and more. Um, and eventually he said, no, I can't do that. And, and, you know, there were dispute about whether or not they did or didn't perform. Um, but the client wanted $9,000 back on the project. And, you know, while from an objective perspective, that was ridiculous. You know, I said to my client, I said, you know what, the $9,000 will get you out of this. You'll be done and you can focus on what you do best. So, um, you know, that he probably would have won, you know, looking at the contract, but he was going to spend, you know, several thousands of dollars to get there um and lots of time so yeah and, and there's so much energy in that and and there's so much frustration and again like you said even if you win you probably lose a you know uh especially if it's something that that goes on and on and on and you know uh uh Anyway, I'll, we'll just stop here because we could. There's so many examples out there. Sure. Uh, but I wanted to ask you this. All right, so here we are. We are on the other side of what I like to call the blip, uh, the pandemic. How were your clients affected through this pandemic? What what kind of things did you uh, have to deal with or face? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the 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 basic answer is it depended on where they were and what type of business they are. Uh, if they were, you know, deemed an essential business under whatever state laws are applicable, um, 
then in a lot of cases, they were busier. Uh, they were more profitable than they, they've ever been. Uh, one client of mine uh, who wasn't even an essential business, but is in the technology space, they, they do app development. Um, they were every bit as busy as they were before the pandemic. The pandemic did nothing. On the other hand, I also represent places like restaurants. Um, and you know, I know you're you're in the Phoenix area. Uh, if Phoenix was anything like Chicago, you know, restaurants have been dead. You know, maybe there's some takeout and other things, but they're hurting, hurting, uh, you know, very badly. And so, you know, it's it's adapting to the situation, trying to find revenue and, and adopt your business model or, or, or modify your business model to do what you can. Um, Maybe it entails, you know, furloughing employees, which is obviously, you know, everybody's last, uh, you know, last ditch effort if they have to. But, um, but generally speaking, um, it's really dependent. Uh, people, people that are smart about it, or you know, maybe locked into it, being an essential business or otherwise, have done really well. And other people, um, you know, are, are are trying to use what they can to to survive. Sure, uh, sure. You know. I, I, and it's one of those things where it's, to me, it's it's really a kind of a no-win scenario uh, in, in the sense that if the government doesn't mandate this lockdown uh, and things get really bad, then everybody's mad at the government. Well, they, you know, they, they they locked down everything. They mandated the shutdown. And of course, we're you know people are still mad at the government. And of course, then the government says, "Well, we're going to give you twelve hundred dollars. You know that should take you you know for you know that that should take care of the average person for ten weeks." Of course, <laughs> you know government math there. Um, it, it, but you a lot know, of ramen noodles. What's that? A lot of ramen noodles. A lot of ramen noodles. <laughs> you know. Either way, uh, you know, what's so funny to me is the, the only people that did uh, that really did well besides some of the essential business are, are our loving politicians who didn't miss a day of work and, you know, didn't have to give up anything. And, and you know, but that's just the way it is. And, and luckily, um, you know, we we live in a time where. um just about any business can tap into the internet and, and maybe you couldn't, you couldn't have your brick and mortar business open, but now you can focus more on, on internet sales. And, and you know, it, it wasn't like you had to completely stand still. Um, you know, I had to advise several clients is, you know, you have to be creative in a scenario like this. It's not about just, you know, shutting down and, you know, you know, going into the fetal position, that's the worst thing you want to do. You got to be creative and figure out, okay, if I can't do this, I got to try something else. Absolutely. I mean, take the restaurant scenario, right? Where, where they're prohibited from serving guests. Um, you know, it's getting creative. Um, one of my clients started doing meal kits. One of my clients, um, you know, again, same in the restaurant space, uh, was turned into sort of a corner grocer. So rather than you know having takeout orders of, of prepared foods, um, they're putting together bags of flour and yeast that you couldn't get at your grocery store. So you know it's about adapting and being creative and, and, and doing you can't you know uh, you know make lemonades out of lemons, right? The the old saying. And that, yeah. You know the folks that did that uh, quickly, you know they're still hurting, but but they'll probably come out 
you know, even better off at the end of this. Sure. And, and, and I love the, the idea of a meal kit. That's being creative. That's being resourceful. Uh, again, instead of sitting there sucking your thumb, you can't, you know, that person came up with a, a, a clever idea uh, because, again, as a consumer, you know, a lot of us were concerned about going into the store. And, of course, we don't want to fight the crowds. And, you know, and to have these meal kits ready to go, that to me is a smart idea. Yeah. I was I was in support of it, so absolutely. All right, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about uh, you know what is a you know what are some of the government resources available to struggling businesses? Sure. So obviously, the one that that's gotten the most press, and that's you know you hear about something new every day is the payroll protection program loan that available to small businesses. Um, there were there were some issues and continue to be some issues with the program, but but by and large, this has been the the most favorable pro business uh, available resource. It's available, you know, kind of nationwide. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, basically, it it took your your historical payroll and allowed you to get a loan based on historical payroll figures. And then there's going to be a forgiveness process that you can go through that, assuming you've, you've used the funds for permitted purposes, which, you know, at a high level are our payroll, uh, rent, mortgage, interest, utilities. Um, so these, some of the essential uh, costs of a business, if you've used those amount, those, those funds for those, those types of activities and you've met, you know, all these other guidelines, which are pages and pages, um, you can have the loan forgiven. So the loan effectively turns into a grant. Uh, so in other words, it's a free money if you've used the money appropriately. And, you know, most businesses uh, that I represent, I work with some larger businesses, but businesses sub 500 uh, employees were all able to take advantage of this. Um, and, and it's, you know, for a lot of them have been the, the bridge that they needed. Hopefully, you know, as you said earlier, you know, come over down off the, the top of the, the mountain in the pandemic and, and hopefully come out stronger here. Right. So that, that's the most obvious. There's also other government loans that are, you know, administered by the SBA, which is the Economic Interest Development Loan that was uh, I'm sorry, was uh, was one of the initial programs, you know, had an initial $10,000 grant. Um, but even beyond that program, <laughs> excuse me, uh, lots of local states and governments had various grants and low interest loans. Um, so to the extent that you're you're still looking for funding or, or some sources of support, um, you know, look locally. Uh, the city of Chicago, for example, had a program that came out um, that they, they made lots of grants to restaurants and, and hospitality industries, you know, some of the most hurt by the current pandemic. So I urge everybody, look at your, you know, talk to your local chambers of commerce. Look at your state and, and local governments, um, and obviously, you know, the, the federal programs as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, there never in our history have so many resources been available, and the threshold to qualify doesn't seem to be that hard. It, it seems like they've been pretty, you know, pretty easy to obtain. Is it, w w would that be correct? Uh, I mean, it depends. It, it, compared to historical loans, yes. Um, but if you didn't have your books in order, for example, 
still kind of hard. You got to, you know, they, they don't just kind of hand out checks for, you know, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So th there are some steps you need to take, but yes, compared to typical, you know, loan guidelines and, and um, you know, these PPP loans, for example, are unsecured loans. You never see unsecured loans. You know, right. banks can't wait to file their liens on on your assets in case you don't pay. Right? They want to be able to recover. Um, so yeah, from that standpoint, they're they're easy. Uh, but yeah, there, there's still some steps you need to take to get them. But sure, small sure. price to pay if it means the difference between surviving and not. Sure, sure. So let's talk about this. There are some things that uh, you mentioned that the loans can be forgiven if you if you meet certain conditions what are some of the things that we should avoid doing so our loan can be forgiven well so so one of the things is and, and a lot of clients have asked me this question you know what if i use ppp loan money for things that aren't you know forgivable uh there's a limited universe uh under the statute where you can use it uh for example you can use it to pay interest on other debt that was in existence on February 15th. Um, if you use it for that purpose, it's still allowed, it just will not be forgiven. Um, so let's say you, you, you know, have got a $100,000 PPP loan and you're only eligible for uh, $90,000 forgiveness during the covered period. Um, again, these are all technical uh, requirements. Um, that other $10,000 will remain a loan uh, payable at 1% interest. Uh, depending on when you applied and, and received your funds, the loan payback period could either be two years or five years. Uh, so having a loan e even at two years at 1% is about the best loan terms that I've ever seen, um, unless you're borrowing it you know, from your mom or dad. Right. Uh, thing. So it's, you know, it's still, uh, with that remaining money, you still have to use it for permitted, pur permitted purposes but the categories are broad. I mean, if it's talking about compensation to employees, assuming you're in business, chances are you're going to use that remaining $10,000 to pay your employees. Now, yeah. what you can't do is you can't take that $10,000 and, you know, go buy delinquent real estate taxes. The, the SBA is not going to be okay with that. Um, but, you know, as long as you use it for those, those period, those permitted uses, uh, and and it's outside your you know the cover period that that qualifies for the forgiveness, um, you can still use those for your business. Uh, it's just a loan like any other. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, a one percent loan is almost free money. I mean, it's that's right. You know what? What a great thing a one percent loan. <laughs> well, you know it, it's interesting if you look at the initial discussions in Congress around this program. Um, while forgiveness was absolutely a huge factor in it, you know. The contemplation was we're going to give these monies, this money to businesses to allow them to survive. Um, and the need is not for a lot of these businesses isn't just going to be the eight weeks or now 24 week covered period. It's going to be the next, you know, 12 to 18 to 24 months. So having that money available, if it doesn't all get used during the cover period, is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, again, um, I, I was. Uh, pleasantly surprised that they were able to put together a program like that. You know, and of course, there is no such thing as free money. So somewhere down the road, somehow we're going to pay that money back whether we like it or not. 
Uh, directly or indirectly, right? Directly or indirectly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and I just remember, uh, not to make this a political discussion, but I remember President Trump saying, you know, we don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. And I think in some respects, well, we might have done that, right? Because there, there's some businesses that completely shut down. I mean, they were probably on the verge anyway, but there are some businesses that said, hey, we're done. We can't reopen. We're not going to reopen. And so, you know, it's it's uh, and some of these were national chains that are not going to be reopening. Right. Well, you know, part of the pro problem and, and look, think about distributing three trillion dollars, which is the, you know, the total amount of government stimulus at this point um, in, in a hurry. You, you can't do that uh, without lots of, of meaningful thought. And, and taking the time to, to go through that. Um, but they they were able to get $3 trillion out very quickly. Um, and so you're inevitably gonna have holes, you're gonna have loopholes, you're gonna have you know tax attorneys, you're gonna have um, anybody who can possibly um, manipulate it, you know, they're gonna manipulate it. Not, and, and I don't mean manipulate necessarily in a bad, bad way, but they're gonna find where the holes are. And you know, from, from where I sit, Yes, there are problems with PPP and there continue to be problems with PPP, but they did a pretty good job of getting lots of funding out as quickly as they possibly could. Um, and now they're trying to plug the holes. So every every day or so, you know, you have a new 10 or 15 page uh, set of regulations um, that govern use and and, uh, and all the other, you know, trying to deal with some of the holes. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let me ask you this. As a business lawyer, somebody who is consulting uh, various businesses, different sizes, what kind of advice do you give businesses that maybe are still struggling? Maybe they weren't eligible to get uh, any kind of government help. Maybe they got government help and they're still struggling. Uh, what's your advice to those businesses? Sure. Well, the, the first is take another look at eligibility because the rules on that have changed over time. So even if when it first came out, you looked at it and go, this doesn't make sense for me or my business, um, look at it again, because it might now. Um, that being said, if, if even, let's say you even did get funds, funding and it's not gonna work out, um, and, and you say, you know what, we're, we're done here. Um, you gotta make sure that, that you're not increasing your potential exposure as you, you go down to the path to liquidation. Um, there are lots of different ways to liquidate. And, and the worst thing that, that I see some business owners doing um, that are just kind of trying to hang on, um, it may be last minute or, or, or otherwise, is incurring personal liability related to business debt. So think about, you know, I'm gonna take my personal credit card or I'm gonna uh, put my house uh, as, as a collateral on, this, on a loan. Um, because by doing that, you've now exposed your personal assets to your business debts. If you think back to why do you form a company in the first place, one of the major reasons to do that is you want to limit your personal exposure. You wanna create a separate legal person. If you do that, then that person is treated, again, separate legal person, is treated differently for, for liability purposes. So if, if you know this is kind of the end of the road, um, putting $10,000 to buy, you know, let's say inventory on your personal credit card means you're now personally exposed for that $10,000, $10, whereas before you were not. So you gotta be careful to 
just use business assets as you're winding up. The second thing is you may very well want to talk to a restructuring attorney. Um, you know, we have a, a, a bunch of attorneys in, in my firm that do it because there may be ways to allow you to survive, even if you think that you're you're done. Um, whether it be um, working out a deal with your your main creditor, um, whether it be um, asking for a deferment of loan payments, May, maybe you have an existing business loan um, that is requiring payments. You know, if you reach out to your lender, uh, they may be willing to work with you. Um, you know, if you saw in the last time we had a major downturn, you know, 08, 09, um, banks didn't want to be in the business of owning houses, right? They they are want to be in the business of lending uh, lending money and, and earning money that way. So to the extent you can provide a workable solution to them, um, usually banks are going to try and want to work with you. Uh, so it, th there are lots of avenues to, to explore. And, you know, the best thing you can do is to be open, you know, doing the, the bury your head in the sand doesn't work. Doesn't ever work. Doesn't ever work. Now, the problems don't go away. So you're right. So, so talk to your lenders, talk to your, you know, even if you have, uh, you know, suppliers, talk right. to your suppliers. Um, they want you as a customer. Yeah, th 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 this is a great time because even if your business was suffering prior to the lockdown, you can still you can still reach out and say, hey, I, I've been negatively affected by the lockdown. You know, there's there's never been a better time to be a, to be a struggling business because there's so much leeway. I mean, everybody when I say everybody, I, I want to say at least the big banks um, and, and the credit unions have been extremely flexible with repayments and rework and, and, and trying to work things out with you. Uh, let you skip a month or two, uh, reduce your the, the interest rates. There's been no better time in history to renegotiate. Matter of fact, um, you know, get your opinion on this. Uh, a couple of these big companies, AMC uh, and Cheesecake, these are two huge publicly traded companies who made press releases. Hey, we're not going to pay our rent. Right. And, and so, you know, that was kind of like to me. That was like a little, you know, the, the first salvo kind of a thing. Hey, we're just going to let you know we're not going to pay our rent. And this is where it's great to have somebody like yourself, uh, you know, that I can reach out to or somebody like yourself who's already part of my team. Because obviously they probably went to their attorney and said, OK, what do we do? We don't want to pay rent. What are the ramifications? You know, and, and so this is sometimes a way to get the conversation started. Right. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily advocate the the press release. We're not paying rent. Um, <laughs> usually, the, the landlord would like to know that before the rest of the world does. But right. um, but it, it's a method. Uh, you know, he, here's the thing: if you look at a business and you go, but for this debt, or but for you know, you you can isolate what the problem is. This is a viable business. There very very well may be a solution to keep you in business, whether it's um, you know, a chapter 11 bankruptcy or, you know, there's something called an article nine sale. Um, there are ways to shed debt either through a formal legal process or an informal process that may allow you to continue to operate your business. So if you have a good business, but for, again, you know, certain debt or, or a certain segment or, or whatever it may be, 
talk to your restructuring professional, whether it be a lawyer or there are lots of consultants that that play in the space as well. Um, it, this isn't the first time that you know our country has been through an economic crisis, and obviously this is primarily a health crisis, but it's also an economic crisis. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah. so talk to your advisors, your accountants, your lawyers, your consultants, um, and you may be able to find a way to to stay in business and continue to operate if it's something you enjoy doing as a person, as a profession. Um, you know, th there may be a way to continue. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you said something that I've not heard of. Uh, Article nine sale. What is that? So it, it's it's one of the, the bankruptcy restructuring tools. It's a state specific um, remedy that is a bit different than going to, I don't want to get too technical, but it, you know, it's different than going through the bankruptcy court, but it can get you to substantially the same place at, uh, at the end of the day. Basically it's, it's, uh, you know, somebody foreclosing on UCC rights and doing a sale that allows you to get assets free and clear. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not myself personally a bankruptcy restructuring attorney. I know enough to be dangerous, and and then I get my my partners that that play in the space on an everyday uh, basis involved uh, to talk about those sorts of things. But um, but the point being, there are absolutely methods that aren't, you know, you know, a, a full on bankruptcy that may get you to where you need to be. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, back to what you said. Sticking your head in the sand is not the option. It never is, but certainly, you know, things do not necessarily go away or get better by you ignoring them. Uh, and so, yeah, now's the time to pick up the phone, take some action. And, you know, to me, what I have learned in my short 57 years of life is that, you know, non-communication doesn't help things get better, right? I mean, yeah, if you just reach out, and today there's so many ways of doing it that are non-confrontational. You can send everybody a text or an email saying, hey, I'm letting you know that I'm struggling. Uh, we're having some financial issues and I'm going to be late. I'm talking to a professional. I'll update you later. There, there's just so many ways of letting of putting people on notice other than a press release. <laughs> right. And, and I'm sure that they probably did tell their, I'm assuming they probably told their, their uh, landlord first and then did the press release. Uh, and again, this is to me a, a high level business strategy that, uh, you know, that is, it, we don't have time for this particular segment, but you know, bottom line is there, you know, just take some action, makes a few phone calls. If you don't want to do it, you, like you said, you, you get a professional, a consultant, a bankruptcy attorney, get somebody but not doing something is the worst thing you could do. Well, and people understand right now more so than ever. It's not just a, wait, I didn't know anything was wrong with your business. If a previously successful business is coming to say, hey, uh, having issues, people are going to get it. Yeah. Um, but, but not saying something, that's when you get yourself in trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for stopping by. It's been great. Um, and if people have questions, I'm going to pop this up here real quick. Uh, they can reach out to the law firm. Um, let's see, right here. If you have questions, go to sfgh.com. You can ask for Jeremy, and he'll be glad to help you point you in the right direction. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for stopping by. Bert, really appreciate you having me. You bet.